I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. Join me in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we'll work our way this morning through verses 15 to 23. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23, as you are making your way there. How many of you think you would have a pretty good answer if someone asked you, how can I lose weight? You know, it's really interesting, that is a question that uh, a lot of people ask. Maybe you've asked that question before. I know if I've asked that question before. And here's the thing, the health experts, right, tell us that it's a very, very, very simple formula. If you burn off more than you take in over an extended period of time, you will lose weight. Some of you are like, wait, let me get my pen out and write that down. You say, it's not that simple though, right? And the truth is, the math is very simple. Here's the thing, they've done studies on this and it doesn't matter really what you eat. Some of you are like, come on pastor. You can eat nothing but Snickers bars. You may not feel well, but if the calorie count of the Snickers bars that you eat is less than what you expend in energy from your daily activities or from additional exercise, here's the thing. You will lose weight. Some of you are thinking, yeah, I know that, but isn't it interesting that we can know something mentally that really doesn't change the way that we live our lives? Parents, you see this with your kids all the time. You'll say something to your kids like, you need to clean up your room, and what's their response? I know. You're like, hang on just a second. Have you seen your room? It looks like a disaster zone. But I, but I know, I know I need to clean up my room. And yet the truth is, they mentally know that, but it hasn't done anything about the way that they are living their lives. Here's the thing. The same thing happens in our lives as believers, If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the same thing often happens in our lives. We know what Scripture says about our identity in Christ, but oftentimes it doesn't translate into changing the way that we live our lives. And so as we began this journey last week, walking through the book of Ephesians, what I told you was Paul is very strategic in this letter to this church in Ephesus, to this gathered believers here in this important city. And what Paul does is he lays out at the beginning of the book of Ephesus, here is your identity in Christ. 
Here is what is true about you if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior because Paul is building an argument here. He wants the believers in Ephesus to know their identity in Christ. If that is firm, if the foundation is secure, it will affect the way that they live their lives. Here's the truth. You can't meet Jesus and live a life that is separate from walking with Jesus. Doesn't happen. What Paul wants them to understand is they need to grasp, not just mentally, I know who I am in Christ, but that it falls down deep in their heart, that it affects the way that they live their lives. And so what we see in the text this morning, I want to read it for us. I want you to notice Paul's prayer on behalf of these believers in Ephesus. And after we read the text, we'll walk back through it together. This is what Paul writes. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we ask this morning that you would open our eyes that we would be able to see that you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. If you were here last week, or even if you missed last week, we covered the first part of Ephesians chapter 1, and we talked about our identity in Christ as believers. So if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, Paul outlined for us, this is what is true about you. But I love what Paul does beginning in verse 15 because here's what you know and what I know. Sometimes the first time you hear something is not enough for it to sink deep down in your soul. You know this with your kids. The first time you tell them to clean up their room, they forgot, right? They didn't hear you. 
But over and over and over again, if you remind them, eventually they hopefully will clean up their room. The same thing is what Paul is doing here for us. Reminding us who we are in Jesus Christ. So if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, Paul is simply going to offer you a reminder of what is true about you, but he's going to do it in a beautiful way. He wants this to sink down deep in your soul. He wants you to grasp a hold of the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ and the impact that that should make on your life. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down this main idea that'll frame our time together. And this is something that I hope all of us would be able to hear and to grab a hold of this morning as we look at this passage of scripture. But it's this truth as believers We desperately, desperately, desperately need to marinate in the reality of our identity in Jesus Christ so that it is something that we understand experientially in our lives and not just mentally in our minds. See, what I'm afraid of, church, is so many times for us as believers, we when we think about our identity in Christ, it's just a mental check in the box. But I want us to experience the reality of that in our lives. And to do that, what Paul says we need to do is to marinate in the truth of what is happening when Jesus Christ transforms our lives. I don't know if you like to grill or like to cook, but one of the things that you'll find out very quickly early on is that meat that has been marinated over a long period of time tastes better. The question is, why is that the case? It's because the meat has had time to absorb the juices and the spices and that flavor permeates every piece of that meat so that when you eat one piece and you eat the other piece, you can say, this thing is good. Same thing is true in our lives as believers. We need to marinate in the reality of our identity in Jesus Christ. Notice beginning in verse 15. After Paul has reminded us of our identity in Christ, he says in verse 15, to these believers, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Don't forget that Paul had spent time three years in the city of Ephesus, that when Paul was in the city of Ephesus, he entered into that city, and it was a pagan city of idolatry. They were worshiping false gods. Paul comes onto the scene, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thousands and thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and it radically transforms the community that they are living in. So much so that it makes those who were making physical idols and selling them in the marketplace go out of business. 
And they end up at the end of that three years running Paul out of town. But here's the thing. A church had already been planted. There were already believers in that important city. And they continued to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So much so that Paul writing back to them several years later says to them, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are people who are talking about the church in Ephesus. I've heard it. Even though I'm not there in person, I've heard what God's doing at that church. May that be said about North River. That God is so working in this body of believers that people are hearing about it. And he says not only that, but also your love toward all the saints. Not only is God working in an incredible way in this church, but this church is doing an incredible amount to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in this geographic location so that more churches are being planted, more people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, and they're raising up leaders, and they're seeing their entire community transformed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Have you ever wondered what pastors pray for? Do they pray for big churches? Do they pray for more people to show up on Sunday? Do they pray for people to walk the aisles, to respond to the gospel? I mean, there's a lot of things that pastors pray for. For Paul here, whose heart beat was for a city to be transformed with the gospel. Notice that Paul says here, I do not cease praying for you. Here's the question. What does Paul pray for? What does he want for this group of believers in the city of Ephesus and the surrounding location? Notice verse 17. Here's what Paul prays for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened I want you to underline this next part in your Bible that you may know Paul says I am praying for you I am praying for you that the eyes of your heart. Just think about that picture for a second. You know this, I know this, your heart does not have eyes. But what Paul is saying here is that if we're not careful as believers, we will live out the Christian life simply in our minds and it will never travel the 18 inches from our head to our heart. And he says to these believers here, I want you not just mentally to know what Christ has done for you. I want that to sink down deep in your heart. I want it to find the greatest place of affection in your life. I want it to seep and to marinate in your heart so that the eyes of your heart 
is enlightened so that you would know. Not just mentally, I know that Jesus Christ has saved me from my sins. I know what is true about who I am in Christ, my identity in Christ. Paul says, not just mentally, I want that to seep down deep in your heart. I want it to transform the way that you live your life. Like a good pastor would. Paul has three points. There's three things that Paul is asking the Lord to help these believers understand. Three things that he wants to seep down deep into their hearts. I want you to write down this first truth. We're going to see it here in just a second. As a believer, you need to know the hope to which you have been called. Not just mentally know the hope to which you've been called, but for it to seep down deep in your heart. Notice what Paul prays beginning here. In verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you should know in the depths of your heart the hope that you have been called to when Jesus Christ transformed your life. You should know that. That should seep down deep in your heart. You say, Pastor, okay, what is that hope? Well, let's start at the beginning. Number one, it is an eternal hope. That for us as believers, what we read about in the text, what we've experienced in our lives is that Jesus Christ took us from being dead in our sins to being made alive together in Christ. That his death on the cross and his resurrection secures for us eternal life. So the hope that we are looking forward to and that we are longing for is an eternal hope. Meaning if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, your eternal destiny is secure. You will spend eternity with God himself. Because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, you have an eternal hope. Now we think about that and we say, well, well, of course, Michael, right? I mean, I know that. But let me ask this question. Has that gone from here to here? Has it traveled the 18 inches from your head to your heart? Do you recognize and understand what that actually means? That for you and for me, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, that eternity is secure. That this world in which we live that is so broken by sin, that is not the future for us who are in Christ. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we'll spend eternity with Him where every tear is wiped away. 
where sin is not present, where we will enjoy the presence of God for all eternity, where sickness is no more, where war is no more, that is what we have to look forward to. You may be here this morning and you've not taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior and you ask the question this morning, where is the hope? What are you holding on to? What are you looking forward to? I mean, when you look around this world, if that's all there is, how discouraging must that be? How depressing must that be? But for us as followers of Jesus this morning, that's not our story. Our story is an eternal hope, a promise that God has made to us. That Jesus, when he left this earth, after his resurrection said, I will return. Church, that's our hope. That's our battle cry. That's what we look and we long for. If you're here this morning and you don't have that assurance of your salvation, you're not secure in that, can I encourage you this morning to consider what it would be like to be able to live with an eternal hope, knowing that for all eternity, you'll spend it with your Creator. Not only is it an eternal hope, but I want you to notice it's an everyday hope. That Paul wants the believers, wants us to understand that it's not just an eternal hope that we have. But church, believer, it is an everyday hope. The scripture tells us that God has prepared for us new morning mercies every single day. When your eyes open in the morning, God has already been at work preparing this day for you. I don't know if you know this or not, but you didn't tell yourself when you went to bed to breathe. You didn't tell yourself to wake up. All of that is simply the grace of God in your life and in my life. But for us as believers, what we know is that we have an everyday hope. What is that everyday hope? It is walking in relationship with our Creator. See, here's the thing that's true about every single human being. We were created to live in relationship with our Creator. God has created us in such a way to live in relationship with Him, meaning that for us as human beings, living at the optimal level in our lives means living in relationship with our Creator. So for you, believer, for me, as a believer, every single day is hope in our lives because we walk with Jesus. Which means the opposite is true if you're here this morning and you've not taken that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior. Let me just ask this question. What is your hope for tomorrow? Is it to make more money? Is it to have a better job? Is it a relationship? What is your hope? Can I challenge you this morning to recognize that 
You were created to live in relationship with your creator. And that life is meant to be lived in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That offers hope. Not only does Paul want every believer to know the hope to which we've been called, but he also, and here's the second truth, as believers, we need to know the riches that come with being part of the body of Christ. I want you to notice that in verse 18, Paul said, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. Here's the second point. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Now, if you read that quickly, you may be tempted to think that what Paul is addressing here is really tied back to our eternal hope. But I want you to notice that the pronoun he uses here is the word his. And he says that we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Who is the his that it's referring to? Well, it's God's glorious inheritance in the saints. So I want you to notice what Paul is doing here. What Paul wants us to understand is our eternal hope and our everyday hope as believers for that to sink down deep in our hearts. But what he also wants us to see and to recognize and have seep down deep in our hearts is what is taking place in the body of Christ, his church. Because he says here that we would understand, that we would grasp the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That for you and for me, if we're followers of Jesus here this morning, that we would understand just how beautiful and amazing and the riches that are to be found in the body of Christ. That's us. That's the church. I want you to notice something that Jesus Christ loves His church. For us as believers, we too should love His church. Here's the thing. The church has kind of fallen on hard times. There are a lot of things that happen in church world that are not very pretty. There are a lot of sin issues that run rampant that are never corrected, that there are churches that are falling and pastors that are falling, leadership that is falling. But I want you to know something. Jesus Christ loves his church. And there, according to Paul here, is a wealth of riches when we as his church gather together. 
That for us as followers of Jesus, there is something unique, something special about the body of Christ. There is something special about being able to gather together to know that spread throughout this room are other believers whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is something amazing and wonderful and rich about that. One of the riches is that we're family. And let's be honest, there are some crazy family members, right? It's true. But church, we are a family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that is a beautiful thing. And here's what we need. Paul will outline this moving forward in Ephesians chapter four. We need every family member coming to the table. Using their gifts, building up the body of Christ. But here's the thing, for that to actually take place, we as believers have to recognize and understand the beauty and the riches that are available in the body of Christ. Listen, think about this. There is something amazing that for you sitting here this morning, if Jesus Christ has transformed your life, that when you look across the room, that he's done the same thing in other people's lives. That they have a story to tell just like you have a story to tell. And that's what makes us a part of the family of God. Not only that, one of the most beautiful things for us as believers is to see God bring about fruit in the lives of our family members. Not only are we family, but what we get to see is God working in each of our lives. And so for Paul here, as he's writing to these believers in Ephesus, he says, I want you to know the riches that are there. I want you to know how precious it is that Jesus Christ has transformed our lives so that when we come in on Sunday morning, what unites us together goes deeper than anything on the surface. That Jesus Christ has transformed our lives and that week in and week out, we get to look and to see God working in each other's lives. One of the things that I love about having a church that is filled with a ton of kids is to see God work in their lives. On Sunday evenings, we have the opportunity to gather with them and to help them memorize scripture. And it's a beautiful thing to see them come in week after week after week having learned scripture verses and having heard scripture taught. And get to see them. I mean, I've been here now just a little over five years. I remember when they were this tall, church. And my prayer is I'll be here when they're this tall. And they have little ones that are this tall. But to see through the body of Christ, God continue to work and to grow it. For fruit to be born in our lives. Hear me this morning. Don't take for granted what God is doing through the body of believers here at North River Church. 
Listen, it's easy to think, maybe it's not that important that I'm here. Or maybe I'll come and I'll simply take from what they offer, but I'm not going to pour in to what's happening here. And I want to challenge you. This may be where you need to plug your life in. And if it's not here, hear me this morning. It's okay. But here's what I know. There is a church that you need to plug your life into that you need to serve, that you need to attend, that you need to give to, that you need to invest your time and your talents and your treasures in. You say, Pastor, why is that so important? Because Paul knows that if it will seep down deep in our hearts, the riches that are available in the body of Christ, it will transform the way we live our lives. I want you to notice the third truth. As a believer, you need to know not only the hope to which you've been called, not only the riches that come with being part of the body of Christ, but notice the next part, the greatness of God's power that works in and through our lives. Verse 19, Paul says we need to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. We need to grasp down deep in our hearts the power of the work of God in our lives. I want you to notice God's power in saving us from our sins. Notice in verse 20. This power that he worked in Christ when he, was, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. I want you to notice, church, believer, that the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that took us from being dead in our sins and made us alive in Christ. It's the same power. And what Paul wants us to recognize and understand and seep down deep in our souls is that power power that worked in us. He wants us to grasp that, to get that. But not only that, it's the same power that also sanctifies us. Not only does it save us, but it sanctifies us. It transforms us more into the image of Jesus Christ day in and day out. So for us as believers, The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that transformed our lives and made us alive in Christ. And it's the same power that works in us day in and day out to make us more like Jesus Christ. And it is that that enables us to do what God has called us to do in this community that we live in. 
apart from the power of God at work in our lives, we are worthless. We will not be able to do what God has called us to do. But hear me, church, with the power at work in us that Paul promises is at work in us here, we can do what God has called us to do. We can make an impact in this community. You can make an impact in your neighbor's life. You can make an impact in your kid's school. Teenagers, you can make an impact in your friends' lives because the same power that Jesus transformed your life with is the same power available to transform their lives. Here's the thing, church. Paul wants these truths not just to be something we know up here, but for it to be something that has seeped down deep in our hearts that it transforms the way we live our lives. I want to ask you if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Maybe you've come in today and you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so what we've talked about this morning our identity in Christ. What actually has taken place in our lives as believers. That's not yet true about your life. But I want you to hear the good news this morning. It can be that right now, from the depths of your heart, You can simply utter a prayer to the Lord that goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I can't save myself. But I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life, took my sin upon himself on the cross and paid the debt that I owe. And I believe that he was raised from the dead. And the same power that did that, I ask you to use to change my life. And I put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if that's the prayer that you need to pray, I want to encourage you to pray that today. God knows your heart. There's nothing magical about the words. But when they're uttered from a heart that desires Jesus to change it, God promises that it'll happen. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus here this morning. And as we gather, the truth is that you know all of these things that we talked about. But the truth is, it's never 
traveled that distance to your heart. It's never seeped in down deep in your soul. It's never really changed the way that you live your life. And maybe you've been wondering after you trust Jesus, what am I missing? Maybe it's this. And maybe this morning you need to take some time before the Lord to ask Him, God, let those truths sink deep into my heart so that it changes the way I live my life. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had to unpack it together today. And God, I believe just as Paul believed that there are so many believers that these truths have not sank deep in their hearts. And it's not impacted their lives the way that it should. And Father, for those that are here where that's the case, would you give them eyes to see it? Give them hearts to receive it. Father, for the one who's here that's never taken that step of trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, would you give them the courage to do that today? We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. We'll have an opportunity to respond this morning to the Lord. Maybe you need to spend some time on your knees before the Lord down here at the altar. Maybe you need someone to pray for you. Myself or Pastor Aaron would love to do that. Maybe you need to take that step of trusting Jesus as your Savior, of praying that prayer. I want to encourage you right now, respond to the Lord.